The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Paul Leslie Hour. This time around, I'm presenting our interview with big band leader Pat Longo, where we talk about his illustrious career. This originally broadcast over the FM radio airwaves, and it's presented to you all, the faithful listeners of the podcast. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a great pleasure to welcome this man. Big band leader, musician, recording artist, performing artist, Mr. Pat Longo. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, Paul, thank you so much for having me on your your show. It's, It's a real pleasure, believe me. Well, I think most stories are best from the beginning. Can you tell us your early recollections of growing up and where you're from? All right. I was born and raised in a town called Lodi, New Jersey, which is probably, uh, Paul, 25, 30 minutes out of Times Square, New York. And we're that close to the city. I started in high school playing clarinet and saxophone when I was a freshman. And then uh, after I graduated, Paul, I uh, enlisted in the Marine Corps and spent four years in the Marine Corps. And I was fortunate enough <laughs> after boot camp, which was, I mean, grueling. It was a tough boot camp. <laughs> a lot of the uh, DIs in those days, Paul, were, uh, you know, from Iwo Jima and uh, Guadalcanal, Okinawa. Very tough. It was a tough go. So I went, got through boot camp and, uh, waiting to get assigned, and they see on my application when I joined that I had played clarinet and saxophone in high school, so they needed a clarinet player in a, in the 2nd Marine Air Wing Band in Cherry Point, North Carolina. So they shipped me to uh, Cherry Point, and there I was, boom, in the, in the band. While in the band, you're still a Marine, and you have maneuvers, and you have all the other things that go in with being a Marine. But your primary job was, unless you were called into duty, you know, to to go overseas or something, was to uh, play in the orchestra. And, of course, I also got in a dance band, too. After the Marine Corps, I I had the Korean bill, and so I went right out to uh, California to go to uh, music college. From music college, uh, I had to get a job uh, in the meantime, so I started uh, in the bank, Union Bank in Los Angeles. Jumping to the bottom line, I spent 14 years with that bank, but always played, always played with bands and so forth, evenings and weekends and so forth. And then in the 70s, I decided to go full-time music, and I, I got a job with uh, the Jimmy Dorsey Orchestra, which was at that time, uh, Paul, uh, led by uh, Lee Castle. And I made a couple of uh, cruises on the West Coast. Came back from one cruise, and I got a call from Frank Peewee Monty, who was the manager, Paul, for uh, Harry James. And it seems one of their alpha players had a problem, and they were performing at the Carnation Gardens in Anaheim, uh, Disneyland in Anaheim, California. So he says, I can't guarantee anything, guarantee anything, Pat, but uh, we need you for tomorrow night. Are you available? I said, yes. What size are you? But a boom, boom. I joined the band the following night. And Paul, very interesting. <laughs> I wasn't nervous at all. I sat in a chair and Harry stood right in front of me the first 45 minutes of our uh, 
are playing. And we took a break after 45 minutes, and I'm standing talking to some of the guys in the band, and Pee Wee comes by, and he says, Harry, like you to join the band. Wow. <laughs> That's all I had to hear. Wow. Next thing I knew, uh, 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 Paul, I was at Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas for New Year's Eve. And uh, that's the way I started. I spent just about four years with Harry, with his blessing and help with with uh, music chart, musical charts. Uh, I started my own band uh, when I left Harry in the end of 1978. And I spent three years with Harry. And uh, that's the start of it. Did my first recording in 79 for Town Hall Records called Chain Reaction. And from there on, it's uh, we did a lot of... Uh, High-level uh, performing uh, uh, with, uh, you name it, uh, Tony Bennett. Uh, we did uh, Rod Stewart's wedding. We did Kelsey Grammer's wedding. We did one of our, one of my accounts was Fuji, and they had me in Vegas at Caesars every February for three days during the uh, when they used to have all of their uh, customers come in from all around the country and around the world for one week entertaining them, and so we had that. Now I'm back to my roots here in Lodi, New Jersey. Uh, we had two homes, and uh, the music business, you know, it's dropped quite a bit over the past 10, 15 years for me. I might mention, while I'm getting very winded here, Paul, is <laughs> that the Sopranos use some of our music on their episodes. Once they came on the air, uh, they were probably on the air about a year. My recording of Here's That Swing Thing, I sent David Chase a copy in New York, and hadn't heard anything for a year, then all of a sudden I hear from his musical director that was putting the music onto the episodes contact me, and they wanted they wanted to license the uh, tune just the way you are, which they did. From that point on, we kept sending him uh, different tunes and so forth and so on, and uh, they were using them for episodes. And <laughs> fortunate enough for me, they were putting the music on Paul and in Santa Monica, California. So that's our uh, episode with the Sopranos. When they went off the air, I was, uh, you must have heard me yelling and screaming. How, didn't you enjoy it out there? And uh, <laughs> 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 Oh, boy. Anyway, so that's it. And now I'm back into my roots. I've started a band here. I'm rehearsing a band two, three times a month here. And uh, we're looking to do some concert dates. In the meantime, uh, that's where we're at. I'm back to Lodi, New Jersey, where my roots are with my wife. Married my high school sweetheart in 1994. Our paths, when I went in Marine Corps, our paths went every different direction. And in 94, we were both at a point where we uh, were not married. We touched base, and here we are, back in Lodi. <laughs> what would you say was the biggest lesson that you had from being in the Marine Corps? The Marine Corps discipline, uh, I tell you, and responsibility. Ooh, oh, yeah. Because basically, I was a rifleman in the Marine Corps. You know, that's basically what I was. Even though they made me uh, play in the Second Marine Air Corps Band, I was a rifleman, and we had to. Uh, we went on maneuvers. We had to go to the rifle range and check that out. Most of the time, we were. Uh, I was in the band, which was was good duty, marvelous duty, and a lot of responsibility. And uh, I'm very happy for the time I spent in the Marine Corps. Very happy. You talked earlier about meeting and working with the great Harry James. When you first met him, what did you think of him? You said you weren't at all intimidated by him. Was there any particular reason why? 
I guess it was at that point in my life, I was rehearsing and playing with a lot of bands around the Los Angeles area. So I was pretty confident on my instrument, my saxophone. And I played alto, of course, all of my life. Uh, alto was my favorite. And I might mention that one of my idols when I was growing up as an alto player, and I don't know how many of your listeners will know this name, Johnny Bothwell. He was a cross between Johnny Hodges Johnny, who had a, a vanilla sound for me, and and um, trying to think of the other name that played lead alto with Harry. Can't think of his name, Bal, but he was more of a... Anyway, uh, uh, Bothwell had a very sensuous sound on alto. And if you get a chance, Paul, go online and see if you can hear of any uh, Johnny Bothwells. Johnny Bothwell played lead. He was on Krupa's band for some time, but he, was, he made his name with... Mm-hmm. Boy, you know how the memory goes? <laughs> anyway, he had a great sound, and uh, he was uh, he was my idol when I was growing up and playing. And so I was confident, and Harry was very nice. As a matter of fact, when I was we, after the first 45-minute set at Disneyland, Anaheim, California, I was talking to the guys, and Harry walked by. He says, sounds good, kid. <laughs> I got a kick out of that. Sounds good, kid. I was 40 years old or 42 or whatever. He was. I was very pleased that he, he hired me on the band, and uh, we got along fine. You know, I took care of business. I guess, you know, the training you get in the Marine Corps for responsibility and doing things and doing it on time resonates with some people. They see that. I'll give you an instance, Paul. We're playing Caesar's Palace on a New Year's Eve, which was the following year uh, I joined the band. And um, we played the first set in the big convention hall. And, of course, they had another band at the far end. We had an hour off. So I'm standing at the bar uh, talking to the guys, having a drink. And Frank Peewee Monty, his manager from mm, over 30 years, comes up to me. And Harry's sitting with some people, some big mockers from the hotel at a table. And Peewee comes up to me and says, Harry likes you to join him. At the, uh, for dinner. Now I'm a little embarrassed. I'm with the band a year. There's a Bono, who was his lead trumpet player in the 40s, but then had been playing the fourth when I was with the band. Been with him for over 20, 30 years, and this other guy's 10 years, five years. And now one year, and he's invited me over to the table. Well, I went there, I joined him, and he says, join Ben, and I ordered what I want, wanted. But he did that for some reason, and uh, he took a liking to me because when we wanted to start. The band, during when I was with Harry the last year, the lead alto player and I was uh, Quinn Davis, marvelous player. We asked Harry for some charts. So he, he says, give me a list. Gave him a list of 12 charts. He says, you can have all but this one. You'll never know. Take 11. And he said that you can have that after we record it, which we did when we got got back out for our 40. We used to do 41 nighters, Paul. In the wintertime, we did 41 nighters in the south. And in the summertime, we did 41-nighters in the north. But overall, we probably did uh, 110, 120 all year, all over various different places while we were housed in L.A. And, and Vegas. How important would you say passion is for doing what you're doing? Oh, very important. Very important. You have such a passion for this, this type of thing. And, of course, this type of music is class to me. And class never dies. For instance, you know, in this hometown, I'm trying to do some concerts in my hometown, and I'm talking to people who, to me, are amateurs when it comes to, listen, 
Good music never dies. Harry used to say the same thing. There's only two kinds of music, good and bad, no matter what it is. It could be rock, it could be Western, it could be anything. It's good or bad, the way it's played. Of course, uh, the music from uh, the 30s and 40s are classics. They're, it'll never die. But, you know, you're dealing with people that, especially when I said, you know, to one of the people here that books the bands, I said, the music like this is classic. It never dies. Class. It's class all the way. And she tells me, uh, calls me, says, well, you know, I don't think uh, the audience will like classical music. I said, I didn't say classical. I said class. And you're dealing with this element. So it's a struggle, but uh, I'm not going to give it up, you know, till they lower me down in the grave. I'm staying with it, Paul. What you said was very similar to what Frank Sinatra Jr. said in our interview. He said the same thing. There's only two types of music. There's good music and then there's bad music. Right, right. If you could put it into words, other than the fact that this music is just full of class, why do you love the music that you have recorded and performed? Well, like when I listen to music, it's got to move me emotionally. Of course, that's why Frank Sinatra Sr. singing moved so many people people all around the world. He had a way of delivering a lyric that moved you. You believed what he was saying, and it became part of you when, when you heard it. And of course, Junior, you know, I worked with Junior. I can tell you a little story about Junior. When I did my first album called Chain Reaction, Paul, the singer on Harry James's band was uh, Stephanie Caravella. I had Stephanie sing uh, a couple of three tunes on my recording, and she, at that particular time, had been dating Frank Sinatra Jr., and so she brought the, it was on vinyl in those days, she brought the vinyl and Frank heard it, Jr. He gets a call after that, and they wanted him to perform at a benefit in Beverly Hills, Beverly Wiltshire Hotel for some group, I can't think of it right now. So he had heard the album, he called me, and he says, Pat Longo, this is Frank Sinatra Jr. I said, yeah, Frank, what's happening? He says, well, Pat, I got a call to do a, a benefit. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pay for the band, whatever it is, and do this benefit. I like to rehearse with you one time, Get getting back into, the, you know, he was singing, but then he was off for a while. He said, fine. And we did did the date at the Beverly Wiltshire Hotel. He was in good form. During a break, my producer of my album, Lincoln Mayorga of Town Hall Records, and also to direct disc recordings, we're all talking, and Frank says, you know, I like to do an album with a salute to Billy May. I said, mm, sounds good. Uh, so Frank says, yeah. I said, good, Frank, and of course you'll perform on. He says, yeah, yeah, I'll do some things. The bottom line was we went in the Capitol. Billy did six vocals for uh, Frank Jr. I even called Billy. I said, Billy, what's it going to take to have you conduct a band at Capitol for Frank and for me? Because I'll be busy, probably even playing. He said, Pat, whatever scale is, whatever scale is, no problem. So we had Billy May conduct it. It's called Billy May for President on Town Hall Records and recorded at Capitol Studios in Hollywood. And it sounds great. And Junior sounds out of sight. He's, he's just marvelous. Now, Billy May. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about him, what it was like. Billy was a giant in the recording, recording industry. And also, Billy was on... Uh, played trumpet on uh, Glenn Miller's band. He was on Glenn Miller's band, and he started writing about that time. But, Paul, listen, this is the kind of arranger he was. He could be sitting on a bus and write each different part without a piano, and, and 
chart out the parts that he wanted to make a chart uh, a chart for. And then in 51 and 52, he had a band. He went out on the road with a band for two years, but that wasn't to his liking, traveling and one-nighters. So he concentrated on just arranging. So he's probably arranged for every top uh, vocalist in the business. Of course, when he did a lot of things for Frank Sinatra Sr. And he was a taskmaster. He got took a liking to me, and I took a liking to him because we were we took care of business. As a matter of fact, I, I might mention that I was musical director for uh, trying to think of the name of the uh, Milt Bernhardt was the president, where we honored we honored people in the industry each year. You know something? Every, <laughs> I'm not in my office, so I can't relate to anything. I'm sitting up in, the, in here, but Big Band Academy of America. We had that, and I was musical director after about 15 years, and we honored just about anybody you can think of. And one time a year, we'd get together at the Sportsman's Lodge in um, in Studio City, California, which held about seven, 800 people, and we'd honor someone. Of course, we honored Billy, of course, one time. I might send you some information on that. I have some of the folders from that. Of course, Milt Bernhardt was the president for that, that many years, he was the one on that Sinatra song. I think it's guy got you under my skin that played that trombone solo that became a hit. And he said, you know, he said that was about the pad. That's about the tenth or twelfth take. And they had him stand on a, a milk box because he, they wanted him closer to the mic. He said, you know, I really didn't like that take as much as some of the, other, you know, the, the first or second one I done. What I thought was dynamite, but they used that one, and that seems to be the one everybody likes around the world. <laughs> <laughs> so Mel's a great guy. We lost him um, too early, but and we lost Billy too. And, but that was some great times with that big band, Caddy America. Met some great people, and we honored all you name it. We honored them. When I send you the uh, some of the information on that, you'll see it on that album yeah. that you're talking about, the Billy May for President album. What are your recollections of working with Frank Sinatra Jr.? Well. Frank uh, and I hit it off. Frank Jr. and I hit it off. And we were on the same track as far as music and what we liked and so forth. I might add that based on that particular album, Billy Made for President, where Frank Jr. sang six tunes, we did a two-week tour on the East Coast. That was interesting. Great, great reception. All All the way up to Utica, New York down to Camden, New Jersey. That's the furthest south we got. But we did two weeks, and we were all over the place. Rhode Island, uh, we played Boston, we played Connecticut, uh, on and on and on and on. So based on that, we did the two weeks. Of course, Frank and I got very friendly. We got to know him. And then we did things around L.A. for a while. So it was a great relationship, great relationship. Then, of course, he went off. He was conducting for his dad, which turned out to be very well, very well. And we communicate occasionally, seeing what was going on. We had a great rapport, great rapport with Frank Jr. When you think back, you know, because as, as you know, he unfortunately, he just passed away. Yes, it shocked the hell out of me, really. Wow. Wow. What kind of man was he? Frank Jr., well, you know, let me tell you, for instance, while we were doing that tour back here on the East Coast, when he'd say, he never referred to his father. Frank Sinatra Sr. Never referred to, he'd say, 
oh, a relative of mine recorded this, and I like to do my version of it. <laughs> you know, he didn't want to keep throwing that out, that he's the son of Frank Sr., you know? Yeah. So I thought it was uh, interesting and yet strange to me, Paul. You know what I mean? I know he was proud of his dad, no doubt about that, that I knew. But he never wanted to relate it and keep throwing it in people's face that he was the son of Frank Sinatra. He was on his own. You take me for what I'm doing, not because I'm Frank Sr.'s son. And I thought that was a good quality in him, good quality. He was a perfectionist, and he knew what he was doing. Very good. You've recorded, I think, six albums now? Well, I've recorded more than that because I've recorded for, with singers. A singer called Mark Copeland out of California. I recorded with Sonny Craver, a black singer, who excellent. He used to be, he sang with Basie for a short time. I recorded with him, some other singers. So I probably recorded told between 12 and 15 off the top of my head, uh, Paul, at this point. And with my own name, I probably caught about between six and, yeah, six and eight, somewhere in there. Is there an album from your career that has the most meaning for you? That's a good question. I never thought of it that way. But I guess I guess the one that we did, well, of course, the first one we did, Chain Reaction, gave us a, a, a catapult us into, well, at that time, Paul, we were on almost, there was about 8,600, between 8,600 and maybe 9,000 stations, FM and AM in the country, and maybe close to, don't forget, this is 79, close to 8,000 stations. FM and AM, they were playing a lot of our music. So I was on, oh, close to a, a thousand stations at one time, that particular album. So that meant a lot to me. And in those days, Paul, the stations used to send you what they were playing. They'd call it heavy playing, medium, and low. You'd always wait for those. They used to go directly to the uh, recording company, and they would send them to you, and uh, you see what kind of heavy play you get and medium play and so forth and so on. Of course, it's changed since then, as you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, what about a song? Would you say that there is a certain song that you could, if you had to pick, would be the Pat Longo theme? Would be my favorite? Yeah, your favorite. It would, well, I know it would be a theme, but it's called Invitation. Invitation. And why that one? While in the Marine Corps, there was a town outside the base, Cherry Point, North Carolina, called Havelock, and they had one theater. They'd have one theater, one gas station, you know, one of those. And it's 1950, and I go out to see a movie called A Life of Her Own with Lana Turner, Ray Milan, Louis Calhoun, Barry Sullivan, and Ann Dvorak. And if you ever get a chance to rent this movie, it's called A Life of Her Own. Lana Turner stars in it. And there's the tune, Invitation. When I heard that, it caught, it really moved me. And even when I went to California in, in 52, end of 52, I bought the piano lead sheet for that, and I was one of the few guys that was playing that tune. It's very haunting. I don't know if you're familiar with the tune. A few people have sung it. I think Rosemary Clooney did it, and I don't know who else. Carmen McRae, maybe. It's called Invitation by Brannis Law Caper, and it is something else. I recorded it. It's on my first album. What is it about a song that makes it a good song to you? If it moves me emotionally. I guess, you know, we think of our old life, what we've done and so forth, and the certain things that move you. That one did. Just the, 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 the 
the sound of it, the way it's written, and the the melody and the bridge. <laughs> well, yeah, it's. I could say it's my favorite tune of all time. Invitation. Yeah. As a matter of fact, in California, you know, I have a fool with the piano and play chords and everything. That's right off of the piano sheet. That's one of the first tunes, and probably only one, <laughs> that I played on the piano, as it was on the on the piano sheet sheet of music. Yeah, that's how much I love that one. <laughs> yeah. I guess one of the reasons I'm I'm talking about Frank Sinatra Jr. a lot is, you know, he did pass away recently, but I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on this sentiment of his. At the end of the interview that he and I did together, he was mentioning that for a musician, there's a lot of types of music that are popular and they're current and it would probably be an easier road. You know what I mean? It would be an easier road to do what's popular. Yes, right, right. But yet there are certain musicians that they don't. They do what it is that is in their heart. Well, I guess it's your, your dedication to what you believe in so strongly, uh, Paul. For instance, I, uh, I like, and one of my friends was on it, the Platters. Now, the Platters did some things. And Paul Robeson, who was on it, we attended Westlake College of Music together. And he was there with a few years, uh, second year we were there. All of a sudden, he's leaving. I said, Paul, what happened? He says, I'm joining this vocal group. I said, oh, well, all the best to you. Of course, they went on to some great things, the platters. I could listen to them, you know. Those, a lot of those doo-wop uh, uh, things were good. There was good and there was good bad. Like everybody says, there's good and bad, you know. Yeah. That was it, you know. What is the best thing about being Pat Longo? Best thing about being Pat Longo? That's a good question. I never thought of that, except I like who I am, and uh, I think uh, I didn't have it as easy as a, as a youngster growing up in Lodi, New Jersey. But I like the direction. I, I think that's why, Paul, I went to Marine Corps. I wanted something different because I picked the toughest outfit to get into. I mean, because their boot camp was tough. And instead of 10 weeks, which was normal, we I had 13 weeks of boot camp in Pat Island. And as I said, most of these DIs were out of Iwo Jima, Guadalcanal, and Okinawa. Tough. They were tough. As a matter of fact, they'd hit you. They could hit you in those days. But uh, during our tour and during boot camp, they hit the wrong kid. And his father happened to be a, a councilman from uh, New Jersey. And that stopped. <laughs> but they were tough. As a matter of fact, I, I can tell you a little story. I talked to my friends, Dick Ferraro and uh, Bill Shemp, to join with me. Bill Shemp was a trumpet player, and uh, Bill, uh, Dick Farrow from East Rutherford, a great clarinet tennis sack player. They figured, uh, you know, they were going to draft in those days, so we figured we better jo join and join the outfit we'd like. So the three of us joined the got on a train in Newark, ended up in Beaufort, South Carolina, got on a bus to go on to Paris Island. It's 12 midnight. We go into this administration building, which is all brick. I'm 18 years old. I mean, still wet behind the ears. We're standing at bunks there, and this guy, staff sergeant, comes in, tailored shirt, the old Marine Corps hat, and the swagger stick, and blah, blah. All you guys from New York, Jersey, Chicago, Philly, raise your hand. Three quarters of us raised our hands. And he says, I hate your guts. And I start laughing. I figured... This guy's got a sense of humor. And he saw me come over with his left hand. He grabbed me by the shirt, 
pulled his hand back and he says, I'll knock that, and use the curse word, right off of your face. And from that day on, <laughs> or night on, <laughs> I never laughed with these guys. <laughs> oh, it was tough. It was a tough go. And then we started what we thought, you know, if you, when you're there like, and it's your 15th training day, and new crews are coming in, it's their first training day, you're like an old salt. You know, you're like cocky. We're fifth day, wait, we're here 15. Well, we were training for three weeks and never got our first training day. We thought like we were into already uh, whatever it would be uh, uh, in three weeks, 21, 22. Of course, we only had 40 people in the uh, platoon, and they needed 70, something like that. So we start, after three weeks, then we start our first training day. So I'm trying to say, Paul, we had 13 weeks of training where we should have had only 10. And that gets set us on our way. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah. And you ask a question. Did I answer it? You did. You did. Oh. You. The question was, what, what is the best thing about being Pat Longo? Oh, okay. I think the, uh, the, the, the discipline I got from being in the Marine Corps uh, for four years helped me to uh, survive this very tough life. Not easy, you know? Yeah. Well, my last question. Yes, sir. For anyone who is listening to us here, it's very, very open-ended. What would you say to the people listening? Well, I think what they should do is listen to, I'm sure they listen to this, uh, your audience would listen to the music of, the music we're talking of. A lot of the times, everybody likes in the mood that's about 75 years and older. I don't play it unless I get a request for it because I got my own charts. I got the own things that were written specially for me and I can take an old tune and, and, and bring it up into 2016, 2015, you know, and I think you'll see that it doesn't take away from the tune. It just means that we give it another little color and update it with a much more exciting type of approach. I think that's what we do. Our music has that. I know today, you know, Paul, you can buy music, publish music, but everybody's playing that. I may have maybe a dozen tunes from all of my, I have let's see, four different libraries, one for three horns, one for six horns, one for 12. Then I have the one the size of Harry James Band, which would be 16. And then I have one, or my jazz book, which goes up to about 18, you know, with percussionists and everything. That's what I'm thinking. They should listen to these different things and enjoy them. Mr. Longo, thank you very much for sharing with us. It's been an honor to welcome you. Well, Paul, it's been an honor talking to you, and I appreciate your interest in what we're doing, and we're going to continue doing it for years to come. And, of course, I I know you have my uh, website, I think, uh, but it's patlongomusic.com. Of course, if you want to give that out to your listeners, you're welcome to do that. Once again, that's patlongo, P-A-T-L-O-N-G-O, music m-u-s-i-c dot com and they can listen to some of the things we've done i look forward to meeting you Goodbye.